ask them to come and share is we're going to move into Ephesians chapter 4. Would you give Sean Gibson a warm Calvary Chapel welcome? Okay, don't, don't sit down, don't sit down, don't sit down, step up. Because let's face it, this is too, too, so stretch, stretch, squeeze it out. Just don't squeeze too much. Okay. All right, good. Got it up there. All right. Okay, wonderful. We're going to be in Ephesians 4. You can, you can be seated. Just want to make sure you got some blood in you. Um, Ephesians 4 is an amazing text. They're all amazing. To, well, Ephesians 4 is kind of a dud. No, it's, they're all amazing texts, uh, obviously. They're, God wrote them. Um, but what I saw in this text for this morning is there's three, three main points I want to touch on. And I, and I think that, 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 that Paul answers three questions. Who are we? What do we have? And what are we supposed to do? And so in this first one, who are we? Um, it's important because, I mean, I don't know about you, but uh, I always wonder why I'm here. I don't seem to fit. I mean, let's think about it. Seriously, why am I up here? I mean, you've, I'm, I'm sharing the stage with, with Rawl and, and with Ray, Wes Bentley, and um, Robert Hall, Brenton Brown. I mean, these men have started big, um, successful churches, international ministries. They've won awards. They've fought in wars. I wear stupid shoes. What am I doing up here? I mean, why am I up here? And, but I've always struggled with this, and I don't know if you've struggled with this, but I've always struggled with this idea that I don't quite fit in, that I don't, I, that I don't really make the grade. I was raised as a hippie kid, so my background was just a little bit different than the people I hung out with, so I never seemed to have the same skill base or knowledge base as the guys I was with. It seems like everybody knew all this man stuff, and I didn't. It, it would be stuff like cars. I never understood cars. And so somebody, be, somebody pop a hood and everybody gather around and, and it's like, man, what is that? That's a Holly four barrel. Wow, I had a charger uh, like that one. I put a high compression pistons and titanium lift rods. What do you think, Sean? <laughs> yeah, I, I had a Plymouth Horizon, had a windshield washer reservoir like that, I think. Uh, holds like a gallon. I mean, it just didn't fit. I didn't understand. All my buddies were into like war stuff. What kind of plane is that? I don't know. A functioning one. I don't know what it is. <laughs> Who plays lead for this band? The guy that looks like a woman. I don't know. <laughs> so who's going to win the Super Bowl? I don't know. The Lakers. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know these things. I don't belong. And sometimes you think that when you transfer into Christianity, well, in Christianity, of course, everybody fits in Christianity. But come on, it doesn't really work that way, does it? I mean, you got people like Rawl or something, they share their testimony. And I mean, it's intense. It's, you know, like you ran drugs for a West Coast syndicate, you know, had all the, all the drugs and the money and the women I could take. Then I turned six, you know, and, and, um, <laughs> or something. And then it's like, well, Sean, what's your testimony? And you want it to sound cool, but what do you, uh, I had the worst handwriting in the third grade, man. I, I sat at the messy table. I don't know. I just, that's not my testimony, but I just felt so substandard. Like I didn't fit. Like I didn't belong. Like I didn't make the grade. That's why I love the text. Check it out. Chapter 4. 
Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God who is Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Who are we? We're the called. The Greek there is kaleo, kaleo. In fact, many of you know that one of the words for the church is the ekklesia, the ek kaleo. The ones ek means out of, from, and kaleo means to call. We're the called out. We're the chosen. I always wanted to be the chosen. I always wanted to be an I get instead of a you get. And you know, it's like I get Pete, I get Mike, I get Fred, you get Sean. But now, I'm an I get. God says, I get you. I called you. Well, why did he call us? Did he call us because we were noble or we were strong or we were wise? No. Paul tells us, uh, 1 Corinthians, um, that he says, God has, not cho- God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong and the base things of the world and the despised God has chosen, the things that are not so that he might nullify the things that are. God didn't choose us because we were awesome. God chose us because he's awesome. And so, he, so it gets us out of ourself. We're always looking for our identity inside of ourself, which is the most foolish place to look for it. When our identity is in Christ, our identity is outside of ourself. It is through God. So then you think, well, now that I'm chosen, now am I noble and strong and amazing? No. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, we are fools for Christ's sake. In fact, we have become the scum of the earth, the dregs of all things. You see, it's God. It's God, it's not us. And it's not just New Testament, it's Old Testament. You remember with Moses? And Moses gets called and he sees God in the burning bush and he goes up and he takes off his shoes and God says, go, I want you to go to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. And God says, I mean, and Moses says, but I, you know, I don't, I'm not a good talker. I don't talk good. I can't do, I, I don't talk well. And have you heard of those Bibles where they're like politically correct and they change God to be like a woman and they use a female reference to God all the time. But this text totally proves God's not the mother God, right? Because if it was the mother God, it would have been Moses said, and I don't, I don't talk good. And God did not say, oh no, Moses, don't say that about yourself. I like the way you talk. You're a good talker. Don't say that, I love you. That's not what God said. He's the Father God. And I'm kind of, for all intents and purposes, God, Moses said, I don't talk so good. And God's going like, I know. Right? That's pretty much what he says. It's like a dad. I, I can't do this. Yeah, I know. But what did God say? God says, but I will talk. I will speak through you. I know what I'm doing. I called you. But I'm the one who's going to speak. See, who are we? We're the called of God. And that should be encouraging because our God is stronger than we are weak and he is wiser than we are stupid 
And the most important part, he is more holy than we are sinful. And so as a God, a God of transformation, my identity is not about me, it's about him. Who are we? We're the called of God. Good stuff. Then what do we have? That starts in verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led host captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying that he ascended, what does this mean but that he had first descended into the lower regions of the earth? And he who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fulfill all things. And he gave the apostles and the prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. So, we've been given gifts. Did you see that word again? It showed up again and again. Gifts, given, gifts, given. We've been given gifts. What are these gifts? Well, we see what Ray talked about in the previous chapter. We've been given salvation. For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourself. It is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no man should boast. We've been given salvation, and with salvation, we get a whole lot more gifts. And so if you look at the commentaries on this chapter, they'll talk about different aspects of the gifts that God gave us. One has to do with, um, sometimes they'll talk about what some people refer to as the five-fold ministry that he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors, and some as teachers. Some would say, well, the gift that he's given is that we've been filled with his spirit. Others in the commentary on this, they'll go off into Romans 12 and 1 Corinthians 12 and say, well, he gave the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the spirit, and it'll talk about those. And, uh, and, and it's all good, but I think it loses the concept of the text as a whole. Um, like for the five-fold ministry. See, I was in a church where Ephesians 4, that's what it was. Ephesians 4 is a five-fold ministry. Um, it's all about this five-fold ministry. And then the evangelists and the, and the apostles and the prophets and the pastors and the teachers. And the focus was so much on this because what they had done is they had structured their church in such a way that you had to find out if you were going to do anything in the church. Well, which one of the five are you? And, and it kind of made this separation. And we look at the history of the church and we see that this mistake has been made again and again and again under a bunch of different denominational titles where there are these holy men and then there are these serfs. And that's not the scripture. Even in this text, he even said, he gave all of these... For what? These are just services that he gave to us as the body and the church that we might all be equipped, that we might all go out and that we might all do the work of the service. The church is all of us. And, the, and, and even though like, okay, I've got uh, like my little badge says pastor, which I'm not. Um, we use that term too much. It's only twice in the Bible. I'm not a, a, a pastor is somebody who really loves people. I'm not a pastor. <laughs> I mean, maybe, maybe a, maybe a teacher, but you know, not, you know I, was, I was shooting for apostle, just never quite made it. Um, that, that, that's not the point. The point is, those who are in the church are to equip those who are in the church. We're brothers. And we sharpen each other and we, and, and we move upon each other. The focus is not upon these men, and the focus is upon us as a whole. So then also in this kind of my previous church life, um, there was also this whole idea of the, of the, you know, being filled with the Spirit and, and the gifts of the Spirit. 
it was, you know, that really the kind of the general consensus was is that you're filled with the Spirit and you either have or you're a have-not. You either have the Spirit or you don't, and it's like once Spirit-filled, always Spirit-filled kind of concept, and then you got to go figure out which of the gifts you have. I even heard a teaching on how on the five-fold ministry, you know, how all of the gifts stack up so the apostle has all the gifts, all this weird stuff. And that's not it. I don't, I don't see that in the scripture. I mean, it, I do see that we receive the spirit of God. In fact, if we don't have the spirit of God, we're not born again. It says, for he who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. So we all receive the spirit when we come to God and he washes us in his blood and, and we surrender to him. He gives us the deposit, the seal of the spirit. We saw that in chapter one. He gives us the spirit. But this idea of being spirit-filled, when I read in Acts, I see that Paul and Peter and the apostles, they were filled multiple times. They were filled multiple times, and when they were filled, they did different things. And so when somebody comes up, you know, and it's like, well, brother, are you spirit-filled? I want to say, like, you mean like right now? Because, <laughs> like, maybe up until you ask me that question, um, but... There's this idea that being spirit-filled is that I empty myself out of all of the other garbage. You see, if I fill myself up with the concerns and the worries and the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life and all of the distractions of this world, there's no room for the spirit because I'm occupied. I'm distracted and I'm filled with foolishness. But if I will empty myself out of those things, then there's room for the Spirit of God to fall upon me, and I can be Spirit-filled. Otherwise, why would God command us to be Spirit-filled? Why would He command us to do something unless we have the capacity to affect it? And He says, be ye filled with the Spirit of God. This is a command. It means it's up to us. The Spirit is within us, but are we choking it? Are, are we emptying ourselves out that we might be filled with the Holy Spirit? So we've been given the gift of the Spirit, and there is also the spiritual gifts. And so, unfortunately, like people make these spiritual gift inventories, and you fill it out and you figure out what your spiritual gifts are. Um, I don't know. I, I don't know if I'm seeing it that way. This idea that everybody gets one gift. I don't see that within the Scriptures. And, and so here's the problem, is that people use this as an excuse. Well, I don't know where to serve because I'm not sure what my gift is. Well, God will use you in spite of your gift or your gifts. That's just not the way it works. Remember, Paul said, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, but even more that you should prophesy. Well, wait a minute, Paul. Are you asking us to have multiple gifts? Go back and look at the scripture. See if you see it the way I see it. I see that he didn't give us each one gift. It says that he gave each one of us the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the building up of the body of Christ, which means that he will give us the gifts that we need to get done the thing that he called us to do. And if he needs to heal somebody, he's going to heal somebody through you. If he needs to speak forth the word of prophecy, he's going to speak forth the word of prophecy through you. If he's going to have to manifest the gift of the Spirit somewhere, he's going to do it through you. But then why don't we see it? I have one person say, you know, we need another second chapter of Acts because then everything would happen. And I'm like, I don't know, Jesus already spoke to that. Because um, it seems to me that the rich man told Abraham, Abraham, raise Lazarus up, let him go talk to my brothers. And Abraham said, hey, they have the law and the prophets. No, no, Abraham, that won't work. But if a man rises from the dead, they'll listen to him. If there's a miracle, they'll listen to him. And he says, no, if they won't listen to the law and the prophets, they won't listen to a man who's raised from the dead. It's not, it's, that's not the way it works. 
what happens is we've got to be in a place where people see that there is a reality of God within the lives of mortal men. That's what makes an impact. And then, if a miracle's needed, it'll happen. Miracles happen. But remember, a miracle is a supernatural intercession into the natural realm. There is God does something supernatural in our lives. But what I'm wondering is maybe we don't see miracles because our lives are lived at a level that does not require supernatural intervention. I mean, why, what, what do I, I need, a, I need prophecy to figure out what restaurant I'm going to. I need, I need the gift of healing to deal with thirds. I need a word of knowledge so I can find my remote. We don't live in a way that requires miracles. Get out there until you're about ready to die. You're desperate and there is nothing left in you. Then God can move. But we live down here. God's, I don't think God got stingy and I'm not a cessationalist. I don't believe that he said, oh, no more miracles. I think he's loaded with miracles. And he's going, sons, wake up. Move. Do something. Do, I want to do it. Don't you do that with your kids? You want to bless your kids. You want to bless them and you're like, come on, son. Come on. Step up. They do something right and we just, boom, we bury them. We want to bless. God is a heavenly father. He wants to bless. But these miracles and all of this stuff, it's there. We have it. But if you notice, we've got to engage a little bit, if you will. We've got to live in a way that needs these things. So who are we? We're the called. What do we have? As best I can tell, everything. Every spiritual gift. We've got salvation. We've got a church. We've got the blood of Christ. We've got the spirit of Christ. We've got the word of God. We've got a God of miracles who's ready, poised, and willing to pour them through us when we believe him. When we do something, when we follow him, we've been given everything. So the last point, what do we do? It says, verse, starting in verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, unto the mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer walk as children tossed to and fro by the wind of the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning and craftiness and deceitful scheming. But rather that we speak the truth in love, that we are to grow up into all aspects unto him who is the head, which is Christ, from whom the whole body is joined and held together, by which every joint supplies and is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So it seems here to me that if you roll this together, we're to grow up and we're to speak the truth in love. And there it says children, that we're no longer to be children. And the word in the Greek for children is totally irrelevant because the point is clear. Grow up. We like to hide sometimes behind our, uh, behind our Bible study. Well, but, but what does that say in the Hebrew? It says grow up. What does it say in the Greek? Grow up. Italian, English, it says the same thing. Grow up. We're to grow up. We're no longer to be children. 
we're no longer to be children. And it says that we're supposed to grow up in every aspect unto him who is Christ. If you notice, it repeats it there twice. What are we supposed to be? How are we supposed to grow up? What are we supposed to look like? Jesus. We're supposed to grow up and be like Jesus. Now that seems almost blasphemous, doesn't it? I'm supposed to be like Christ? Yes. Because you see, sometimes we forget something. I think in our, in our, ability, in our response to, to cults, we forgot something. You see, yes, Jesus is divinity. He's God. But he came to earth as man. You see, these are the verses that the Jehovah Witnesses throw at us all the time. All the scriptures about the humanity of Christ. And because of that, we have a tendency to push back. But the truth is, Jesus came down and walked as a man. He wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. He wasn't a phantom. He was a man. And he walked the way that we're supposed to walk. He is our example. We are to be like him. We are to seek to be like Christ in all ways. He is our example. I'm not going to grow up to be God. I'm not going to grow up to be Messiah. But I'm going to grow up to be like Christ. He is the man. He's the ultimate man, and that's who we need to be, right? So, what does this look like practically? Practically, um, uh, and I may have done this before, but I'm going to do this again. There's this idea that it seems to me when I look in the scripture, there's five areas in which we're supposed to be transformed. And I didn't come up with this. I didn't discover this. You see this in so many different types of teachings. But because we have this shirt like this, I thought it's just kind of apropos. We grow up in five ways, and the way to remember that is cross, C-R-O-S-S. I was going to make a PowerPoint, but I didn't, so you're just going to have to remember these. Okay, it's C-R-O-S-S. C, we're to care. We're to care, that means to minister. R, we're to relate, that has to do with fellowship. O, we're to offer, that has to do with worship and prayer. S, the first S is to study, that means to know our Bibles. And the last S is to share, which means to evangelize. I'm going to come into these, and as I address them, I'm going to address the excuse that we use for not growing up. And you know what these excuses are going to sound like? They're going to sound like this, but I'm just a kid. That's what our excuses always sound like. But I'm just a kid. Do you remember using that on your parents? But dad, I'm just a kid. And, and, uh, and I thought it was a brilliant excuse that direction until my sons tried to use it on me. And then you realize how foolish the argument is. But dad, I'm just a kid. And what it means is you're asking too much of me. But dad, I'm just a kid. You're asking too much. I didn't ask you for brain surgery. I asked you to take out the trash. But dad... I'm just a kid. Oh, well, in that case, take out the trash. I know who you are. Right? I mean, that's the point. Is that it didn't dawn on me. I thought, like, this works good. And then when your kids use it on you, you realize that what you're assuming is that the dad is clueless. And we, we say this to God. We do these same kind of excuses to God. But it's just like, but dad, I'm just a kid. As if we don't know who they are. And it's like, well, <clears throat> you know, I was wondering, because I was thinking, he wears those pants with the elastic in them. Is he a kid or is he an old man? Oh, but you told me, you're a kid. Okay, now I get it, you're a kid. But dad, I'm just a kid. Well, I was wondering, because your voice kept cracking. I thought, man, is he a kid or a professional yodeler? 
But then I thought, okay, you're a kid. I get it. We know what our kids are, right? But Dad, I'm just a kid. But we say that to God. I'm just a kid. I'm not, but, but, I, but I don't have, but I'm lacking, but I'm, but I'm just a kid. I was wondering about that. Lay around the house, eat all the groceries, don't pick up after yourself. I was wondering, are you a kid or a golden retriever? But then I thought, he can't fetch, so must be a kid. So this is what it looks like. First of all, is care, do ministry. We're supposed to minister. What's our excuse? We're supposed to use the things that we've been given that we might minister to others, and this is the excuse. But I don't have anything. But I'm not talented, but I don't have any gifts. I don't know how to do any of this stuff. I can't do anything. Really. Go to a third world country and go find yourself an eight-year-old. And he'll have a cloth, or he'll have a stick, or he'll have a rock, and he'll have figured out how to make himself useful because that's how he eats. He'll, have, he'll figure out a way to make himself valuable to you. So what do we have? Well, we only live in the most affluent society on the planet. You've only been given health and prosperity and a voice in a Christian nation. We've got everything. That excuse just doesn't buy it. Ministry means we take whatever we have and we use it for the kingdom of God. We minister. We put boot leather to our faith. So then relate, which means fellowship. If you remember, Jesus redefined what divides man. Remember, it says there's no longer Jew nor Greek. There's no longer slave nor free. There's no longer male nor female, but all are one in Christ. So what he says is there's no longer denominational barriers. There's no longer racial barriers. There's no longer gender barriers. There's really no longer any of these ways that you have a tendency to divide people up. Really, there's only two kind of people in the world. There's the saved and there's the lost. And that's all there is. And so how are we to relate to the saved? We're supposed to be in fellowship. We're supposed to be in relationship. We are in fellowship with the saved. And so the excuse that we use or the excuse that I hear is I'm busy. Dude, I haven't seen you in church. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, I've got homework. Um, you know, well, I've got, you know, new job. The job's working a lot. I'm busy. Well, you know, we just started two-a-days in, in football. I'm busy. I mean, I do more youth stuff. And uh, my response is always the same. So quit. <laughs> because we're talking about God here. You know, parents come up and it's like, man, I haven't seen your kid in youth group. Well, you know, they're in sports now. I'm like, sports, youth group, really? Well, you know, in sports, they learn teamwork. They, get, they grow physically healthy. They, they learn good sportsmanship. I'm like, great. We're going to have a bunch of good sports in hell. This is about God. We've got to make priorities. So if you're too busy to go to church, here's a thing, a little, little like epiphany I had. There are plenty of damned people who can work on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. The world is filled with damned people. Now, this sounds at first crass, like I'm not being considerate to the lost. But here's the problem. If the saints don't get equipped and get pumped and get filled, then they're useless in the world with the lost. And so it says, so while we have opportunity, let us do good to all men, but especially those who are in the household of the faith. Why? Because we as the body of Christ need each other. We need to get build up. We need to be in fellowship. We need to hear the word. We need to be exhorted. We need to sharpen each other and we need to be equipped so then we can go out to the lost. 
So if there is something that's keeping you out of church, kill it. Well, okay, wait. I just, the words just came out before I thought about them. <laughs> um, love your wives. Love your children. But if there's something expendable, get rid of it and be in church, be in fellowship. Now here's the other one. If it's not busy, the other excuse goes like this. Have you, and this usually happens when we, we move churches. We move, a lot of times where I get it is kids go off to college, and so then I see them, and it's like, hey, where are you fellowshipping? Well, you know, I went to this church, and it was too big, and I went to this church, and it was too small. I went to this church over here, but they were flaky, and this one's just all about being a show, and that one's just dead. I went to this church, it was dead. And I'm thinking, hmm, I can do the math here, and guess what? I found the common denominator, you. You're the problem. Because you see what happens when we leave one church and we're, and we're forced to find another family, we try to find one that looks exactly like the one we just left. But it doesn't work that way. Okay? I know like Mr. Derek kept finding wives that just looked like the same, but when we go from church to church, we're not going to find them that look just the same. So then what we've got to do is we say, God, where have you called me to be? And you've got to plug in and you've got to do it. That's where you've got to be. We've got to quit making excuses. We've got to be in fellowship. So care, minister, because you've been given everything. Relate, be in fellowship. And, and if you've got a busy excuse, get rid of it. And if you've got a, the church has got a problem excuse, get rid of it. You are the church. Then the next one is offer, and that has to do with, with praying. I mean, it has to do with worship, but I want to focus on prayer because I believe this is a great weakness in us as men, as being prayer warriors, is that we've got to pray. And the usual, the excuse is this, I forgot. Did you pray? I forgot. And my, anybody who's known me for a while, somebody says, I forgot. They're like, oh, don't say that, right? <laughs> because I'm like, you did what? You forgot? You know what forget means, don't you? Forget means you don't care. Because if I told you next week, if you come up to me at 3 p.m. and ask me, I'll give you an iPad. Do you think I'm going to have to remind you? No. You're going to be there next Wednesday at 3 o'clock and you're going to ask for that iPad because you care. So when you say, I forgot, what you're saying is, I don't care. And that's kind of where the lecture starts. It keeps going for a while. But <laughs> so we forget. We can cure it. Ask God to make us men of prayer. But I'll warn you, he'll do it. He usually works through trauma and trouble, and tribulation and trial but you will pray, and I will pray. There's some easier ways. We can set like an alarm to remind us to pray. Um, if that doesn't work, you can quit eating. Fasting works. You quit eating. When you get hungry, it reminds you to pray. It's been used for millennia. If that doesn't work, a surefire thing is tell your wife, I need to be reminded to pray and you will be reminded to pray. <laughs> so, but here's another thing that we can get, and here's the other thing. Don't offer to pray for somebody, pray for them. Because if you offer to pray for somebody, and you're a man, you know, somebody comes up, it's like, I don't know, I'm thinking like, I've got this pain in my heart, I think I'm going to die tonight. It's like, okay, well, I'll be praying about that. <laughs> and, and, and they go off. And then, of course, because we're men, we forgot Who's in the room? What was that? I said something. I don't remember. 
And God is faithful to have that person come back the next day and come up and go, oh, you, oh, pastor, thank you for your prayers. I was healed. It was amazing. You are an amazing prayer. And you're thinking, yeah, (laughs) sure, no, no problem. Did you ask somebody else to pray for you too? Because I forgot. So don't offer, just pray. When somebody says, brother, would you pray for me? Put your hand right on their shoulder. That's the cue so you don't forget. And you pray for them. And if you're in the middle of the office, you pray for them right in the middle of the office. It's a great witnessing opportunity. You're in the store, you pray for them in the store. In the restaurant, you pray for them in the restaurant. In your middle of a public school, pray for them in the middle of a public school. Pray for people when they need prayer. Right then, don't offer to pray. Pray, because if you offer, you won't. And then the other thing is, is pray, don't counsel. We're men, we want to fix things. And the problem is we don't know how, but we want to fix them anyway. So when somebody comes up and they're like, well, you know, I just, I don't know, my investments are going downhill and I just don't know what to do. And I'm thinking, man, I can't rub two nickels together, but I'll make something up and I'll counsel you. It's like they don't need us. They don't need our spleen. They don't need our kidneys. They don't need our wisdom. They don't need our foolishness. They need Jesus. Pray for them. Just pray. Because prayer gets us out of the way if we recall, who am I? I'm the called of God. Because I'm awesome? No, because he's awesome. What have I got? Everything. So what have I got to do? Give it. If you remember, the whole, uh, uh, Wiersbe's got a great definition of ministry, doesn't he? And on being a servant of God, it says ministry is when divine resources meet human needs through human channels to the glory of God. Great definition of ministry. In fact, I encourage you, if you don't have Warren Wiersbe's on being a servant of God, buy it. Every Christian man should have that in his library. And that idea of ministry, it's not us, it's God. What we've got to do is get out of the way and let God move through us. When we let God move through us, then the power of heaven is on our lips and in our hands. And so in prayer, if we were to be a men who prayed more, honestly, if you said one more prayer a day and asked God to intervene one more time than you do right now, things would start changing and happening. And if you laid hands on somebody just one more time a day than you do now and prayed for them, you would see people's lives change because God moves in that. So see, care, are, relate, be in fellowship, oh, offer, pray. And then the next one would be um, S. The first S is to study. That means the word of God. Our um, our excuse here is, I don't know how. I don't know how to study my Bible. So I've got some practical suggestions. You want to study your Bible? You want to learn how? I would try, I'd get on the computer and I'd Google something like, I don't know, how to study the Bible. I'm going to say you're going to get a couple hundred thousand hits. If that doesn't work for you, walk into a Christian bookstore, walk up to somebody and say, hey, could you help me? I need to know how to study my Bible. And I think apart from a couple paintings, they'll be able to sell you the whole store. If that doesn't work, walk into a church and ask somebody, you know, I was kind of hoping that I could learn how to study the Bible. You won't get out of the building before they sign you up for three or four midweek Bible studies. And if that doesn't work, open your Bible, get a paper and pencil, read it, and write down anything that goes through your skull. And if you put a question mark on anything, go find somebody and ask them that question. God's given us his spirit and he's given us his word. But it's funny that we'd use the excuses, well, I don't know how to 
study my Bible. Well, then by all means, put it down and forget that it exists. What was God thinking writing us a book we could read? It's not rocket science. You pick it up, you open it, you read it, you ask questions, you learn, you're transformed. It's the power of truth. It's the power of the holy words of God moving through us. So we as men must be workmen who do not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. If you're a carpenter, you know how to use a hammer. If you're an accountant, you know how to use an adding machine. If you're an IT programmer, you know how to use a computer. If you're a welder, you know how to use the welding machine. If you're a Christian, you got to know how to use your Bible. Otherwise, you're a poser. I mean, what would you do? You hire a welder, and he does. So, okay. Yeah, I'll get to it. You just go ahead. I'll get to it later. You just go, what are you doing? Don't you know how to use that thing? Kind of. You're fired. We're Christians. We should know how to use our Bibles. It's very easy. You open them up, you read them, you do it. It's pretty simple stuff. The last one is to share. And to share is to, is to, remember we said there's two groups of people. There's the saved and there's the lost. And we're in fellowship with the saved, but we have to reach and share the gospel with the lost. And here again, it's the same excuse, isn't it? But I don't know how. And I'm going to change my mind of what I would normally respond to that. Because I normally respond, well, learn how to do a good gospel presentation, you know, the four spiritual laws or the Roman road or the bridge illustration or the gospel acronym or something. But it dawned on me that, that even though that's kind of the gospel in a nutshell, it's just the essence of the gospel. And, and I thought, God, what have, what have I been, I've been trying to fit you onto a post-it note. The gospel is everything. It's God. And so how do you share the gospel with somebody? Well, gospel means good news. So it depends on what happens. Because God is in all things and has a perfect way in all things. So if I meet somebody and they're um, feeling really convicted and really broken about something, I guess the good news would be you can be forgiven. God will forgive you. If somebody's really alone and isolated, it's like, um, I'd say the good news would be God loves you and wants a relationship with you and wants to be with you 24-7 for eternity. I suppose if somebody is struggling with something, the good news would be there's an answer and it's Jesus. The gospel is huge. And so to share the gospel with people is simply to care enough to open your mouth and point them to Christ. But that gospel kind of links into that second part where to grow up in all aspects into him who is Christ with the cross, men of the cross, and then in that sharing where it says we're supposed to speak the truth in love, that we're supposed to speak the truth in love. What we need to give people is the truth, and the truth is Christ. And what's funny is we've got very good at giving people things that aren't truth, and we're very open to share them, the latest movie, the latest news story, the headline. And, and we're so faithful to share that. Um, in fact, we're faithful to share stupid things. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. But if you heard about those, like those power balance bracelets, the little rubber bracelet with a hologram in it, the special magic hologram in the bracelet, and you just put it on, the President Clinton put it on, and all of the and Shaq put it on 
and you get better balance and more strength. That's the oldest con that has ever been in the book. If you remember, it used to be copper bracelets, then it was bracelets with magnets. Then, it, now, then somebody got brilliant and said, hey, you know those really super cheap bracelets you make out of silicone, cost you a dime? Let's say they're magic and sell them for 30 bucks. And we all did. And we look at this bracelet, look, watch. Man, this is awesome. It's, it's an old con. It's been around forever. Don't share that stuff. Don't share that. Share the Bible. If you, if you want to share something, share truth. Don't share your opinion. Don't share what your grandfather said. Well, my grandfather always said, oh, is your grandfather a man of God? No, he's an alcoholic. Well, then shush. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about your grandfather. Well, I've always said live and let live. Well, then stop it because that's stupid. Live and care for the lost. Share truth. Don't share opinion. Don't share, share your spleen. Share the truth. The truth is the gospel. And then share it in love. And if you find that you're getting in arguments with people over spiritual things, if you have to say this, what? I was just telling the truth. Then you're not sharing it in love. It says to share the truth in love. You know, we've had this great opportunity to go out on some mission trips. And ever since we started doing them in English-speaking areas, like we've done the What Do You Believe America trip a couple times across the U.S. We were in Hastings. We did it there. And we've got to talk with all kind of people. I mean, I've gotten to talk with with like um, palm readers and, and Wiccan and Jehovah Witnesses and like Mormon trainers and Muslims and anything, any, all aspects of people. And you know the cool thing is, I have, we haven't argued. Just share the truth in love. They believe different. If I approach it that I'm going to come up and I'm going to convince you that I'm right and you're wrong, it's not going to work. I mean, have you had anybody do that to you? You know, and, and, the, and, the, and the tracks thing, that's kind of nice. That's kind of neat. But the truth is, I want you to think about the last time somebody walked up to you on the street and tried to hand you something. Were you like, oh, wow, can I have one? Or were you like, no, I'm, I'm not interested. I'm not, no, I don't want to buy it. We've got to be smart, don't we? What about this? We just start talking to people. So what do you think about this? What do you think? And people are dying all the time. They're dropping like rocks. So it's a great conversation starter all the time. You just think about somebody who died. Somebody died on the news. Somebody this. They just, there was a, they blew this thing up, this plane crash. It's like, wow, did you hear about that plane crash? Yeah, I sure did. They died. Yeah. What do you think happens on the other side of the grave? What do you think happens after we die? Boom, you are in a spiritual conversation right then and there. Now, if they say, I believe that we're reincarnated, don't go, uh-uh. That just, just, that just kills it. Really? Why do you believe that? Well, you know, it's interesting, and this is what would happen. I would talk to people, and we'd be asking them these questions. We'd be asking, what do you think happens after you die? Where do you think truth comes from? Where do we we'd ask all these truth questions? And, and to be honest, I would listen, and I would listen, we'd listen, we'd listen. Hmm, that's interesting. That's interesting. That's interesting. And then regardless of what they'd say, I'd go, you know, it's interesting. I was reading in the Bible the other day that says that God loves you and that he died for your sins. And that he wants to have a relationship with you. And that blew me away. What do you think about that? I didn't argue with them. You don't have to argue with people. Just share the good news. Care enough about them. And if they ever ask you, why are you doing this? I hope the truth would be, because I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be in heaven. I don't want you to go to hell. I want you to be alive forever. Well, I don't believe in that. That doesn't change the way I feel about you. 
I don't want you to go to hell. We have got to be people who are transformed. Who are we? The talented, the equipped, the qualified? No, we're the called. What do we have? Superpowers? No, we have every spiritual gift that will be get to give us everything we need for anything that God asks us to do, no matter how crazy it sounds. And what are we supposed to do? We're supposed to grow up and speak the truth in love. We're supposed to grow up and speak the truth in love. This is pretty simple, isn't it? If you would afford me a foolishness, I, uh, have you heard of a bucket list? Whereas you make this list of all these things you want to do before you die? I'm thinking that's not a very good list because it's just going to make me feel like I'm nothing and I already have that feeling. So I'm thinking we're a Christian and then God gave me this thing. You should, you should do a providence list. Okay, and a providence list is this. Turn around, look backward across your life and see what God has done. Okay, so this is gonna sound a little arrogant at the beginning. Please just hang with me. I don't mean it to be that way, um, but I was just kind of blown away at this. So if you don't mind, if you'll, offer me a li- if you'll allow me a little foolishness, I'm gonna read a little bit of my providence list for you. I have appeared on national television, radio, and magazines, but I'm not a celebrity I have taught in schools at all level, elementary, secondary, and college, but I'm not a professor. I have had the lead role in a large theatrical production, but I'm not an actor. I've climbed the Andes and the Rockies and the Alps. I've ridden elephants through the rainforests of Thailand. I've taken a banana boat down the Amazon, but I'm not an adventurer. I have publicly escaped from a straitjacket and handcuffs, but I'm not an escape artist. I have developed programs to ensure materials are not radioactively contaminated, but I'm not a health physicist. I have publicly performed feats of prestidigitation, but I'm not a magician. I have decommissioned nuclear reactors, particle accelerators, and analytical laboratories, but I have no advanced degree. I have sang and I've played music before thousands, but I'm not a musician. I have reviewed and revised procedures for the manufacture of nuclear weapons, but I'm not a rocket scientist. I have an extensive collection of artifacts and oddities, but I'm not a curator. I have taught in several churches. I've performed weddings and funerals, but I have no seminary degree. I have overseen the design and construction of industrial facilities, but I'm not a professional engineer. I have recorded dramatic readings that have been distributed to millions of people, but I'm not a voice actor. I have assisted in the construction and operation of a pesticide research facility, but I'm not a toxicologist. I've flown a plane, but I'm not a pilot. I've performed psychic readings and feats of telekinesis, but I'm not a mentalist. I've been listed on the marquees of conferences, but I'm not a professional speaker. I've been elected to public office, but I'm not a politician. In fact, to honestly answer the question, who are you? I would have to admit, I'm nothing. I'm a fool. I'm the scum of the earth. But I've been saved by the one who's everything, who's all wisdom and the king of kings. Destiny is not determined by your abilities. It's determined by who you worship. I'm a Christian. So, we would do well to pluck out our eyes of flesh and to rest in the arms of faith. Who are you? You're the called. What do you have? Everything. What have you been called to do? Grow up and speak the truth in love. And what will happen? God wins and people go to heaven and they're saved from the jaws of hell. 
Father, we praise you and we thank you that you are a great God, you are a mighty God, that you have called us, you have made us men. Lord, please wake us up from the deception that we would recognize that you are everything, we are nothing, but we are in your hands, and therefore nothing is impossible. We give you all the praise and all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.